0: Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Modern Medusa Podcast. My name is Dominique DeFalco, and I'm your host. We're really excited to have this third episode today with an awesome guest. She is a phenomenal herpetoculturist from Canada. She is one of the moderators on the Female Herpers and Reptile Keepers group, and she's also just a keeper of some really exciting species. So before I introduce her, I first want to give a huge shout-out and thank you to Joe Phelan with Port City Pet, Once again, thank you so much for hosting us on your feed and then also all of your support. And then also just give a huge shout out to Elise Legault for being our first guest. She did incredibly, and we are so grateful for the positive feedback we have received. So without further ado, tonight's guest is Kiana Fox of Sorian. Hi, Kiana. Hey, Dom. How are you?
1: Uh, Not too bad. How are you?
0: Oh, you know, just I had a two hour commute home in the winter weather of Ohio today. But, you know, you're Canadian, so I'm sure that's nothing.
1: Yeah, I am definitely familiar with winter commutes. Our weather is like minus 40 Celsius right now. Oh so can um, you put
0: that in American, please? Give, here, give me two <laughs> seconds. Let's see, because Let to me, I, I only know 100 Celsius and then I know zero Celsius. The rest of it is just made up. Although that's kind of like a very American mentality, but
1: actually I, uh minus 40 Celsius mi- is minus 40 Fahrenheit.
0: Well, that's damn convenient. <laughs> <laughs> I don't so, um, <laughs> I
1: I don't know if you've ever experienced minus 40 Fahrenheit, but um if you have, uh that's how cold basically all of Canada is right now.
0: Yeah, I no, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate um, what you guys do for the world, you know, maintaining the polar ice cap and such, but I'm not interested.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I definitely wouldn't mind moving somewhere warmer. May, maybe somewhere where like I can keep reptiles outside or something. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. That's the like, dream
0: for all of us.
1: <laughs> Florida looks fantastic to me, but sometimes the reptile laws go a little askew all of a sudden.
0: Oh, yeah. I think... Just reptile laws in general, especially right now, are, are all a little askew. Definitely,
1: it's... definitely. We have some interesting stuff happening in Canada, actually.
0: Yeah, I actually had a question for you. Um, are you familiar with the current legislation that's on the table in the New York reptile you know, circle? No, I'm not. So, man, my very bad ex- explanation is essentially there is a law that they're talking about um, to ban all shipping of live animals. So whether it's reptiles, fish, livestock, anything like that, I'm hopeful that it won't pass because it is going to have a huge effect on farms as well as you know the pet trade. But there's definitely a fear. And I know that from you specifically, you work with a, a decent amount of imported animals, and a lot of those may come through the U.S., to get into canada so i just curious if that was a concern for you at all
1: um well actually it's kind of interesting because uh the world protection organization world no world animal protection mm-hmm. uh wop we we have been calling referring to them as <laughs> WAP.
0: i was trying to keep canada. it family friendly yeah <laughs>
1: um we uh they proposed something in uh pei wanting to ban like all exotics mm-hmm. which most people don't realize includes like their six-year-old daughter's cute little guinea pig or hamster as mm-hmm. well so um You know, I I think they're just kind of testing the waters and seeing what kind of reaction that they'll get from the exotics community. Mm -hmm. But so um, that's kind of something that Canadians have going on right now. But I know that the people who I import my animals from, the majority of my animals come from Europe. But I do Mm -hmm. plan on importing from um, the U.S. this year. I need some booger tofus.
0: Okay, so... so so what is the common name for people who may not be familiar with that species?
1: Transpicos rat sink.
0: Okay. Awesome. Those little yep. bug-eyed monsters.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I refer to mine as a goldfish on land. Yes. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> with New York potentially like not having shipping, I know that... Um, a lot of animals that get shipped between Canada <laughs> and the U.S. all go through um, New York and Toronto. So, like, the, those two cities are like really, really key to the reptile communities trading with each other, I suppose.
0: So, in in, in America, in the U.S., we have what's called U.S. Arc, and that is our uh, essentially like the governing body. Uh, it's the United States Association of Reptile Keepers and that is the organization that helps to keep these laws from passing and to keep people up to date with what's going on from a a political standpoint essentially in the reptile community so do you have anything similar in Canada is is there that kind of communication Um, there
1: well there's a there's an organization called CanHerp but Mm the i haven't seen any action from them in a couple of years so i i'm not 100 percent sure what's going on there but um i know that here in alberta um there's a lot of bylaws changing outright banning reptiles that are like already banned under our provincial laws and so just mm-hmm. like small communities are just uh un- uneducated people that ha- have the power to make laws or just making stupid laws that don't need to exist basically (laughs) but i know that um the local herp society the vice president has been the one making phone calls to you know all the governing bodies and trying to get to the Mm -hmm. bottom of that so we we are really um the canadian reptile community is really really uh divided And, like, because we don't have Mm -hmm. that uh, big governing body to represent us, like, uh, U.S. art, it's really hard to kind of fight some of these laws because sometimes people Mm -hmm. just aren't showing up to those meetings where we need to show our representation. So there are certain people like uh, myself and Brandon who uh, definitely try to promote awareness about this kind of stuff and just let the community know, hey, uh, we can't just sit here and, and like wait for someone else to do something about it because someone else isn't going to do something about it. And we will lose our privilege to keep a lot of these amazing animals just because uneducated
0: people are making laws. It's upsetting, but it's important that we're having these conversations and and talking about it. So switching gears a little bit, um, because that's kind of the current events, but I want to talk a little bit more about you and what you do. You mentioned Brandon. So what I neglected to say at the beginning of this podcast is that not only is Kiana a phenomenal herper and keeper, but she's also the co-host of the Canadian Herpeticulture podcast and Brandon is her co-host. So do you mind giving me a little bit of information about that? I know you're coming up on, was it one year of recording? Yep one day i
1: just had an idea to start a canadian reptile podcast or just a reptile (laughs) podcast i didn't even know reptile podcasts existed when this was an idea in my head Mm -hmm. um and uh one of my mentors uh vanan from canadian a he's just like no do it like be be the voice like be the voice for your community like just do it and i was like yeah okay okay I'm gonna do this and then I met Brandon at I believe WCRE 2019 which is the Western Canada Reptile Expo and we just hit it off became great friends and um because I don't know, just because we hit it off so well, I asked him if he wanted to be my co-host. And then we just kind of got the ball rolling. And February 8th, 2020, we put out our first episode and we've been going hard ever since. Um, Yeah, it it has been (laughs) wild. So wild. I never thought that like, just kind of like two nobodies could like do something like this because Mm -hmm. neither of us are big breeders or anything like that like brandon had a clutch last year um i got one slug from my stropharis and i got one really bad ball python clutch where like all of them had to be euthanized and it was just like the worst first season yeah ever 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 that's
0: so frustrating and upsetting (laughs)
1: well me me and my partner Tyler we like really tried to not let us like we just wanted to turn it into a learning experience move on do next season better grow from it
0: Mm -hmm. that's kind of all you can do you know we have these conversations that while this is a hobby at the end of the day we're still working with lives and and lives are fragile and and precious and and you can't control a lot of what's happening, so I think props to you though for being open and talking about it because that's something that a lot of people would let their pride kind of get in the way and wouldn't want to, you know, talk about failure even though it's part of the hobby.
1: Oh, I I have uh, I have no issues being wrong or admitting I'm wrong. I have no issues sharing my successes, my failures. Like, if someone else can learn from something I screwed up, then that's something that they don't have to fuck up to learn.
0: So you know. <laughs> You started the Canadian herpeticulture podcast. You, I, you know, you call yourself a nobody. I would disagree. I think you're, I've said it once, I'll say it again, a phenomenal representation of women in the hobby, particularly you're, um, you know, one of the moderators in the female herpers and reptile keepers group. You keep some really interesting species, which we'll get into a little bit more, but tell me how you got started. What is it that brought you into reptiles? Why were you the weird girl who likes snakes? You know, that's how we all start. It's always kind of been a family thing for me, which I
1: realize most people like really do not have that. But my grandma had a six foot male iguana named Iggy, and then like one day he attacked her. And not so shocking. What, <laughs> that what, sounds like a what male I'm iguana. assuming. What I'm assuming is like it was breeding season, and if if you know, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So, uh, Iggy went to go live with like a a relative down like in a different town and so like I'd see him when we went to go visit there and stuff like that and I don't know which relative it was because I I, I was just a kid during all this but um, we would walk into this room and it was just like green foliage and like fluorescent lights and red lights everywhere so like there's definitely another reptile keeper in my family. I just don't know it is. in your it blood. Is. You're part- it is in my blood. <laughs> You're part but, lizard um, person. And then um, my father was also super into exotics since before him and my mom got together. And, you know, he, he always kind of had cool stuff, uh, told me stories about his turtles and stuff that he had before him and my mom were together in these big tanks. And we... When I was a kid, uh, my mom worked at like a gardening center, so we'd bring home the little anoles that were stuck on the plants, just, just kind of stuff like that. So I just always had like reptiles around.
0: I think that's so cool and it's so interesting because, especially as a as a woman in the hobby, it seems like that's not often the story that you grow up with reptiles, especially your grandma having a reptile. I think that's- my grandma.
1: Had an unhealthy obsession with like snake print pattern. She would wear <laughs> head to toe like snake print from like her dress to her high heels. Oh like, my god! She sounds like
0: a badass. People don't understand. Oh, she was. She was such a badass. And I mean, call- I think I think anyone who can keep an adult male iguana is just like correctly is automatically badass. Uh,
1: no, I wouldn't say it was correctly. Oh, this okay. Is the 90s. Uh, this that's is the '90s. That's a good point. That's <laughs> a <laughs> good keep point. Keepings come a long way. You know, like I remember, I was ten yeah i had to have been around 10 and we got an argus monitor from the pet store they told us it was a yellow spotted tegu
0: <laughs> similar you know basically the same thing yeah, yeah
1: it was, it was kind of close but like uh so we set it we built it in an enclosure the exact same way the pet store told us to and it was like uh, that's a good start <laughs> glass and chicken wire And uh, the substrate was rabbit pellets. He had, like, a human heat pad, and he just lived off of frozen rodents. And, like, oh, I feel so bad for that animal, knowing what I know now. And uh, his name was Mr. Lizard, and he did not last long.
0: Mr. Lizard, that's a a good name. I named him that. He
1: (laughs) he was so mean. I I think... (laughs) I it's my family's fault that I have a love for like mean animals like tokays. I think
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's awesome though because that's you know toke's that's an unappreciated animal that's for sure. I've got yeah, a the um,
1: personality's relatable though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wasn't gonna say it, but yeah. <laughs> so you know, you started with Mr. Lizard, the maybe tegu, maybe argus monitor, and and kind of how did your collection grow from there? So you're still. You know, you've, how long have you been doing this now? Like 15 years you've been working with animals?
1: After I moved out of my parents' house, um, I, I didn't have reptiles for quite a while until probably I was 20 or so. So I guess it's only like four years, but whatever, not the point. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I ended up just, I lived a couple blocks down from uh, a, like a really big, well, not a really big reptile shop, but a really well-known reptile shop. And so I'd just go in there and check out the bearded dragons and stuff like that. And, like, they had some, like, really, really high-quality animals and just, like, amazing animals, like, green tree pythons out, out the wazoo. Just, like, eye candy everywhere. Eventually, like, I bought a couple bearded dragons and then, like, I got into tokes. And then in 2015, I bred tokes for, like, a year Uh, Me and my uh, partner at the time went our separate ways, (laughs) so to put. And I got out of reptiles for a couple years, except for um, just a couple oddball animals that I kept, like um, my first rescue ever. Uh, His name is Bo. He is a boa Constrictor, a a B.I., and I still have him. So uh, I've had him since 2014, I believe. And he's he's still going strong. He's been the one animal that's always like, I've always kept him through everything. You mm-hmm. know, been you... through multiple breakups.
0: <laughs> it's like you know, like a like a good sweater. You know, Ben yeah. with you through it all. <laughs> so yeah, he's like he's my ride or die snake. <laughs> you said that your first rescue. So mm-hmm. um, I, there's a couple things I want to talk about. One, a potentially controversial topic. I'd love to hear your thought on what you consider to be a true rescue situation. Um, and then also a little bit more about your experience with rescues, because I know you have one right now or you have two that you're treating and and how you work with those.
1: Okay. So um, the way I was rescuing was not, not the greatest. It, I, I was new to the hobby and like my heart was in the right place, but my wallet wasn't there, mm-hmm. you know? I think, and I think um, that's
0: a, an important the comment to make really quickly. Um, this is a conversation Kiana and I have had multiple times. Um, for people who don't know, my background with reptiles is actually working for a reptile rescue. So I use the term rescue in the same way you would rescue a cat or a dog from a shelter. And I know that's just not generally how people view rescues in the reptile hobby as, as commonly. So this conversation that Kiana and I are going to have isn't to be rude or dismissive of anyone taking in rescue cases for their animals but this is based off of a foundation of conversations we've had before so go ahead with that little disclaimer you know
1: I just I just wanted to help these animals that I saw being like clearly neglected and like posted online but like so many of these animals were just like beyond even medical care Mm -hmm. so um you know you know I I I would like you know treat for parasites and this and that and like have the rescue cow and y- you know like I I didn't do the worst job but like mm-hmm. so many of them were just like so beyond death's door and should have just like gone and been put down instead of tried to have been rehabbed
0: mm-hmm. um and that's and- that's such an interesting that's a really tough line to like to walk um With like when it is worth it to rehab an animal, because not only the physical stress it puts on the animal, but the mental and emotional stress it can put on the keeper is sometimes just not worth it.
1: Yeah, well, exactly. It just after putting all this work to try and save an animal and having it still pass away just kind of like it started to get too heavy for me so Mm -hmm. um I I stopped doing the rescue stuff like I haven't even looked at Kijiji in years because it's just depressing Mm -hmm. and like you know I I know that like there's a lot of fantastic breeders that use sites like that and like that that's great. Like no, no no shade to them, but I just um you know it's it's just when, when you see all the sick and dying animals in there, it's just you no. Know, yeah, I can't look at it. I need my blinders on. I need to focus on the correct side of the community.
0: Mm-hmm. And it could be hard too when you've built a collection of animals from breeders or from more legitimate sources, and bringing in a rescue can be such a worry to your current collection and and to your current animals and and such a threat essentially
1: well um so there was a situation here where um we had to uh go and remove some animals from a province where they were illegal and uh relocate them here where they are legal and Mm um one of them ended up having mites so uh i ended up with the good fun round of mites and in, in my quarantine room <laughs> thank god thank god is in my quarantine room though but that's exactly why you do that right mm-hmm. and you know mites aren't the worst case ever like that no. they're just annoying but i got like- lice a
0: lot as a kid so i'm not that afraid of mice <laughs> of mites i i used to sit in front of the tv with a head full of mayonnaise that's how we got rid of, rid of lice where i was Mm. uh i got it a ton
1: i got lice a ton as a kid because i had like hair down to my butt so i was like
0: yeah
1: (laughs) i was prime feasting material so like (laughs) totally like i get it i get it but like i don't know it's easy to treat just Mm -hmm. don't don't stress it no need to get mad over it it's just something that happens with reptiles sometimes and i think that like if you're in the hobby long enough then mites are going to happen to everybody
0: mm-hmm. and happens. that's why okay. quarantine's so important yeah oh it's and even one of the reasons why <laughs> and even like a modified quarantine is better than no quarantine at all what is um what's your quarantine procedures like and how does it vary from animal to animal or, or what you're keeping in quarantine um so
1: basically i had my quarantine room is a different room in the house Mm -hmm. um i i would love for it to be on in a different building but i just don't have that ability right now as Mm -hmm. soon as i can that's exactly what's happening but um once you move to the u.s maybe (laughs) (laughs) but um so quarantine tools like supplies are quarantine supplies. Um, anything not quarantine is not quarantine. So mm-hmm. uh, d- different sets of like hemostats and all that kind of stuff. If I'm dealing with quarantine animals, they are last on the list. I'll deal with my main collection first, and then mm-hmm. the the more risky stuff last. And then um, I ha- have uh, I use Vercon for sanitizing.
0: Mm-hmm. What is that? So-
1: Uh, It's a vet-grade disinfectant, basically. Okay. So I think if it's uh, good for a vet, it's probably good for me.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I
1: hope. (laughs) hope. Um, Because I know that chlorhexidine and stuff like that can be kind of hard to get up here in Canada sometimes. Mm -hmm. So um, this stuff I can get from the uh, UFA, which is basically like Canadian Tractor Supply.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: and, And it's cheap. It just comes in pellets that dissolve it in water. Spray mm, that's, it, leave that's it for really ten nice minutes. yeah it's nice because like you don't have to like have it, the bottle's tiny it's just mm-hmm. a tiny bottle and it like lasts me for months um the solution lasts for a week in the bottle it needs a 10 minute contact
0: time okay which is so, very
1: reasonable yeah yeah exactly and like bleach needs a 10 minute contact time as well so like mm-hmm. realistically it's not like you're you should probably let your stuff have a decent contact time, anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, tell me a little bit more about your current collection. So, you said you have the one boa right now that you've oh had God, for a long time. I have so
1: time. many boas. I have so many boas.
0: <laughs> so, so give me a little rundown of what you're keeping, and then I've got a, a couple particular animals that I want to chat more about.
1: Uh, okay. So we have some like oddballs and i guess i'll kind of go through those first so uh we got a leopard gecko we have some tokay geckos um Pilbara monitor maclots python pac-man frog her name's hypnotoad i love her <laughs> <laughs> she's I a little <laughs> um yeah i think those are just kind of like all the one-off animals and then mm-hmm. i have uh a couple normal boas um a couple different morph boas they're they're all uh constrictor impure no yeah b i no whatever they're all <laughs> <BIs>. <laughs> um and then i have a couple doomerals boas tyler has a ridiculous ball python collection mm-hmm. because he's scared of everything else <laughs>
0: I think that's a, I, I want to touch on that really quickly if you don't mind talking about it. So, you know, you kind of came into the, the current relationship you have with your partner, being the one who's interested in animals and, and being the one with the collection. Can you explain a little bit about how that was like to kind of <laughs> introduce him to it? And then I also know um, that you have kids and how your kids interact with your collection will be really nice to talk about.
1: Um, so Tyler and I got together like two years ago. and at- he had like no like reptile knowledge experience or anything like that. And um we ended up moving in together and uh I had to do some work on what on, on my corn snakes enclosure. And I was like, here, hold her. And he's like, No. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean, no? Like <laughs> it's a corn snake like that wasn't an option (laughs) (laughs) yeah it wasn't a question and he's like no i was like he he had been to my like old place a million times like he knew i had snakes so i was just like what do you mean no (laughs) like you know i have these animals like Mm -hmm. And i was like are you scared of them he's like yeah i was like we've been dating for how long and you've <laughs> never mentioned that you're terrified of my animals <laughs> oh my God. and then so uh eventually my cousin was like hey uh can, can you take can you take my ball pythons mm-hmm. I'm, I'm over it and i was like yes fine i will take them and i will rehome them and then um, we got them, and Tyler fell in love.
0: That's so fun! I love you know, it when have- someone <laughs> finds their species.
1: Well, and I, I like, I didn't have ball pythons before that because, like, they're just not the species for me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like, it's just not my kind of animal, mm-hmm. and and so, <laughs> um. So now I have thirty ball pythons. You wow. know how like, you know how men are always like, my wife wanted a cat, and I did, and I said no. So we compromised, and we got a cat. Yeah, uh, <laughs> except genders reversed and ball pythons.
0: I love it. And then you got thirty. <laughs> I, I of never them. wanted a ball <laughs>
1: python, so I have thirty ball pythons. Is
0: there any um particular morph that he enjoys? Is it more just for fun? Do you have a breeding plan in in mind?
1: Anything like super yellow, like he he loves like lavenders and bananas and stuff like that.
0: Mm-hmm. So, uh,
1: he is the light side, and I'm definitely like the dark side of the morphs. Because like, <laughs> okay. um, I I figured if he's getting into it, then like I'm definitely gonna like learn alongside with him and help him out.
0: People can hate on ball pythons, but you have to admit that some of them are just really badass. <laughs> well, like they it- just exactly. look cool,
1: exactly, and like um i'll i'll see something really cool and i'll like message it to him and i'll be like hey this could like work really really neat with like this animal this animal this animal that we have in the future Mm -hmm. and so like um you know a couple of my friends have been like in five years you guys are gonna be producing some really cool stuff and it's just Mm -hmm. like okay that feels good like (laughs) it makes me feel like i'm at least investing properly in these animals Mm -hmm. and like I like all the colors and stuff they're neat looking mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and they're
0: they're fun species to keep i mean they don't do a lot but they're you know it's nice you, you really do open a drawer of just rainbow whenever you see what's in there
1: oh yeah exactly um and then like my my youngest she is a snake lover your like, youngest human
0: your yes human my child's human
1: yes uh my proto-human ah yes <laughs> yes uh my red-headed proto-human uh, she absolutely loves ball pythons and boas mm-hmm. um we'll go over to brandon's house and he has this like massive female uh her name is cuddles and she's like she has she has to be like at least seven foot wow you know it and and that's like being realistic about the size, not yeah. saying like I have a six foot ball python kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> like she's she has to be like a healthy seven foot and like a thick girl.
0: Mm, love to see <laughs> it.
1: And Lily comes down the hallway and she has cuddles wrapped around her neck and cuddles tail's almost touching the floor and her nose is almost touching the floor. And I'm just like, <laughs> that snake is too big for you. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> and she just loved it. Mm-hmm. loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved I- it. I think she is going to be a hardcore uh, boa girl when she is older.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, right now she has glowfish. We're, we're starting small
0: <laughs> i mean that's a good place to start though i love i i was a fish girl when i was a kid because i couldn't have reptiles and so i think that's such a great place to start because i would argue that fish are harder than reptiles reptiles oh, yeah. you have to worry about heat and humidity fish it's like absolutely oh, everything it has the to be sun.
1: cycled and everything yeah. luckily mm-hmm. i cycled the tank before we got the fish because I, I at least knew that um And then uh, my oldest proto-human, she got (laughs) a leopard gecko for her 10th birthday. Uh, Mm -hmm. At first, she was, like, looking at Mac Snows and stuff like that. And I'm like, of course, of course you want something this expensive. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, uh, Lisa Lisa Ashton of Gecko Place, like, huge just showed out to her. She's, like, one of the most amazing leopard gecko breeders in Canada and, like, so knowledgeable. She uh, opens the last drawer and it's just this, like, fiery uh, little normal female. And Mm -hmm. my daughter is, like that one she's so pretty and she's like losing it over how beautiful this normal leopard gecko is i'm like you're my child
0: (laughs) you are my child well there's there's something to be appreciated about like the animals in their most natural state yeah like
1: they're they're great they're absolutely great Mm -hmm. um and like i am so happy that my kids have like the same passion about reptiles as i do Mm -hmm. like uh, autumn my my oldest she just got jerry her leopard gecko set up in a nice pvc enclosure mm-hmm. over the weekend and stuff like that so she just really enjoys being able to like create the environment and stuff like that for her so
0: mm. so do your kids do they assist with you know the the cleaning the feeding and everything that comes with the animals as well
1: uh they Bailey mainly helps me with um the rodents mm-hmm so she she's a great help with the rodents she fills their water bottles and stuff like that mm-hmm. um and then autumn just kind of takes takes care of jerry she mm-hmm. she's in that teenager phase Ooh, so, so fun <laughs> so <laughs> she just lets me know when she's out of food for her gecko and i go buy her more food for her gecko perfect yeah
0: so it's very much an as needed kind of thing <laughs> yeah yeah like uh, autumn
1: cleans Jerry's enclosure out every weekend and stuff like that so like she she's a phenomenal little keeper and like Mm -hmm. I'm I'm really proud of her like Lily likes hanging out with the mice and watching them and stuff like that so
0: Mm -hmm. I think I mean that's such a cool you know learning experience for your kids to grow up with to see especially you know a woman in the hobby to see their mom like being a badass doing these cool things and, and also teaching them about nature and animals and I think you know the respect for the animals is really important
1: Well, um, uh, when Autumn was like six years old, she came home from school. She's like, "Mom, I want to be a nature ranger." So I was like, "Yes."
0: She. What is is a nature nature. ranger?
1: I have no clue. I think she's like. (laughs) I wasn't sure if
0: it was a Canadian thing.
1: I think it's just like some kids conservation thing where they can like learn how to do conservation and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and I was just like okay that's so wholesome like she loves animals and like wants to take care of them and stuff like that and like we already have reptiles and stuff so
0: yeah I I think that's great do you notice that you know it's it's tough right now with COVID but um, with your kids, how do their friends react to coming over to their house and they have the mom who's got all the crazy animals? They're,
1: they're I think they're just used to it. Okay, so I, I don't know. It's funny because
0: yeah. you know, even <laughs> I'll have friends come over and they're like, "Can we see the snakes?" And I'm like, "Yeah, duh, of course." I want to take them out too. So I wasn't sure how uh, how that is for kids nowadays. See, uh, I I grew up with uh, a parrot, so like. I, oh, everyone yeah. from like
1: high school everyone from high school in grade nine they came trick-or-treating at my house and everyone <laughs> like realized I had a parrot so like even now like I've I, I turned 30 this year but people are like do you still have that parrot and it's like no he died of cancer <laughs> like <Ooh. laughs> two, two years after y'all learned about him mm-hmm. but it was just like that oh my god how do I turn Jeez. I'm sorry I'm so sorry oh you're fine um, but um, they just for years they were like that parrot was so cool it was so cool so cool and they like saw it once so I I definitely get like that side of it where mm-hmm. like the animals just wowed the other kids where it's like something so normal for you
0: mm-hmm. it's it's funny because there are legitimately days where I forget that I have my animals like not in the in a neglectful way but in a way that I'm just living my life and then I come home and I'm like oh yes I have all of these to care for. <laughs> Um, so, you know, we've talked a little bit about your, you know, the general species you work with. Um, I'd love to talk more about your interest in obscure geckos. Cause I think that's really cool. But before that, with your love of boas specifically, it seems to be the species you really gravitate towards. Can you talk a little bit about the conversation we had a couple of weeks ago about how you're working to advance your husbandry?
1: yeah yeah um okay so on uh my show chp uh brandon and i interviewed liam sinclair um he has a youtube channel called reptiles and research um and just after talking to him i just kind of really wanted to reevaluate um how i personally kept Mm -hmm. and so i have um our our show is sponsored uh through by an enclosure a, a local enclosure company so um it was just kind of like the right partnership for us and it just like really suited like what i wanted to do anyway so um i've been getting new enclosures through our sponsor um th- they're just like a home business and make them in their garage but like they're they're really nice looking and um they take all of my ideas into consideration and apply them to to like what i want to do for my enclosure so my my latest build is um a six by two by three enclosure for my 20 year old normal boa constrictor that was free
0: (laughs) i think i think Um, that's so cool and i i love the i love the trend towards you know some really dope husbandry and some really you know doing the most we can for animals to make sure that they're not only living their best life but then we also get to enjoy them more well like she climbs
1: so much in Mm -hmm. her current enclosure her current enclosure is um six by two by four but Mm -hmm. she kind of falls off her branches a bit so i I just want to reduce the height by about a foot Mm -hmm. um But, so, like, she climbs so much, so I want to do overhead basking, or overhead heat with uh, UVB as well, and just, like, really try and give her something next level. She uses her whole enclosure as it is anyway, so Mm -hmm. I just want to really step it up, give her the full spectrum lighting, um, give her plants to crush, because, like, I know that that's gonna happen, but, um... I just want to offer my animals the most that I can. Uh, My current goal with my keeping is to get all my permanent animals in full-size PVC enclosures. Um, You know, I don't have anything against racks. I will never come at someone for using racks. Mm -hmm. Um, I still use racks. Um, I will, but just personally, my choice is I only want to use racks for um, like hatchlings and Mm growouts anything that's going to be a permanent resident here i want in a full in a full size enclosure with full spectrum lighting Mm
0: -hmm. i know i've seen that in a lot of groups i'm in on facebook like reptile lighting advancing herpetological husbandry is this a trend that you're noticing with a lot of canadian keepers or are you kind of uh one of the first people you know who's really focused on this um no
1: i i think it's definitely a trend amongst a lot of uh smaller keepers and mm-hmm. definitely people that i would consider like micro breeders mm-hmm. um they really the only people that are kind of resistant to the big enclosure meant like idea is um like the, the really really big uh breeders and it's like predominantly ball python breeders mm-hmm. um not, not not like trying to come at anyone or anything like that but like the the people that are like Rex are best really just seems to be like the big ball python breeders
0: mm-hmm. and that's but, and and they've worked for so long that mm-hmm. it's hard to say that something new is is better than what we know well
1: i I think that all types of enclosures have their places in the hobby. It's mm-hmm. just you need to understand how to properly use that enclosure to suit the animal's needs. Mm-hmm. So like wh- which is why I would never be against anyone for using a rack unless they're simply like being cruel about the size that they're offering their animal. Like th- I right. probably would say something in that case. But like that's not necessarily because like it's a rack, that's just because the people are being kind of shady about the size that they're offering for their animal that's all
0: talking about advancing your husbandry and, and talking about like what you're doing in that regard another thing you're doing for herpetoculture is working with a really interesting species that not a lot of people are working with which is the strophorous geckos so can you give a little bit of background of what those are for people who may not know about the genus and then also talk a little bit about why you're so into these kinds of uh you know crazy geckos um so uh
1: Strophurus are uh predominantly spiny tail geckos from australia um they're just bigger than a micro gecko so uh they are a small gecko i suppose um i'd say most of them are around four inches in length three to four inches um and uh i just one day i was scrolling facebook and i saw this gecko and it had like this silver colored body with these black spots all over it mm-hmm. this bold, orange stripe on the tail and these blood red eyes mm-hmm. and I was like what is that <laughs> and it was a strophorus Tainakata. and I was like I have never lusted after anything so hard other than my man <laughs> <laughs> And him and I have been together since the day we met. So like, let, let me, we'll let you have <laughs> this <don't>... thing. <laughs> yeah. Like I wanted this gecko. There's no morphs. Mm-hmm. And this is like one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. So um, so when was in... that? Oh, three years ago,
0: maybe. Okay. So this has been like a long game for you.
1: Yeah. um, Two years ago, maybe uh yeah I, i'd say two years ago it was like around when tyler and i started living together okay. um but uh i started talking to uh an importer here in canada um northern northern lights reptile imports uh ashley Dizan. um and she's like yeah i can get them from europe no problem this is how much they cost uh <laughs> send it to send send me the money to this address and like a couple months later, I had my geckos. Mm-hmm. It
0: like it was like <laughs> so it was. Did you start with the the ones with the bright orange tail? What which species is that?
1: Yeah, uh, Strophurus tainacata, uh, which are called golden tail geckos. Okay. Um, so I started off with a pair of those. Uh, totally fell in love. They have such easy care. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, eighteen by eighteen by, no, what am I talking about? Uh, twelve by twelve by eighteen. Mm, for a pair uh yes um i i'm going to bump it up when i get their new pvcs done but yes um so just like a small exoterra with uvb and uh a light they just need a 90 degree basking spot mm-hmm. and sand for substrate and vertical hmm. branches
0: okay is it is it a, a very you know you say they're from australia are they a more yeah. desert dwelling species they're semi-arid
1: yeah, so this is uh, definitely an arid species. Um, mm-hmm. They're usually out at night. They hang out on the ends of branches, just kind of like jumping at the flying bugs, eating. Mm-hmm. So um, I use uh, black soldier fly larvae as my predominant food source, mm-hmm. and I just leave the enclosure or not the enclosure, the container of them in the enclosure because when they turn into flies, it just it's more of a natural hunting experience mm-hmm. for, for the geckos and um because they're so rich in calcium they're an absolutely fantastic
0: feeder. Mm-hmm. So so you started with the golden tail. How many mm-hmm. species are you up to now?
1: Uh I have 3 species now. I have the Strophurus tenacatus, Strophurus williamsi and Strophurus spinigerus.
0: Okay. Is there um is there a similarity in care for all three? yeah yeah they're they're all pretty
1: easy to care for and they're all pretty similar so i i keep mine all the same i the the biggest thing is um uvb not a lot of people offer it but there because there isn't very much information on these guys online Mm -hmm. so um it's common for captive species to have a crinkle tail Mm -hmm. and it's just from lack of uvb uvb so Mm -hmm. Um, That that's one thing I really like try to emphasize to new keepers is like you really need to make sure that you have that. Um, I'd say I I know a lot of species um, cryptic bask but these guys will sleep right out in the open
0: huh okay so
1: like these guys are getting like uvb on on a regular basis even when they're sleeping Mm -hmm. um they're they're not shy animals uh they they have this really really cool ability to um shoot this uh sticky smelly goo substance from their from their tail
0: oh like from the tip of their tail um or more their cloaca area or somewhere else
1: no, uh so they are spiny-tailed geckos. Mm-hmm. So all this ew comes out of the spines in their tail.
0: Oh, and is it a is it is it poisonous? Is it just sticky as a deterrent? It's just really
1: foul sticky ew like and they aim for the eyes. D- love it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's helpful that you wear glasses then.
1: Um but one thing I did discover while I was researching uh strophorus was that um some scientists discovered that if you mix the tail goo with ammonia, mm-hmm. it's highly flammable. I have no idea how that applies to
0: science, <laughs> but um yeah. I just imagine some like frat guy scientists mixing stuff together and trying to set it on fire. <laughs> yeah i was like
1: was that important (laughs) because it never really it never really says why they did it it just Mm -hmm. says like that they did it that they made like little gecko goo
0: maltov cocktails basically wow (laughs) that is so that's one of those random facts that i'm gonna be very grateful i have in my head so thank you it will (laughs)
1: provide you with I hope you use it to, as like an icebreaker with a man.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll put it on my Tinder profile for sure. <laughs> so for anyone who's currently listening, when I say that Kiana and I have talked about this before, that's because we recorded this entire podcast and I screwed up the audio. So anything I'm referring to is actually a conversation we had just about two days ago. So Kiana, I know we've spoken before um, about... Um, what you're doing to help with the prevalence of stroverus in the hobby so can you tell me a little bit more about the group you're working with for people in canada who keep the species and then um talk to me about why you think this isn't really a prevalent species yet
1: um i don't know why it's not a prevalent species because these guys have the easiest freaking care ever um I don't I don't know. I love them. I really love them. They're such uh like beautiful animals just to look at and mm-hmm. uh because there's so many different species of them, um their looks really, really vary. Mm-hmm. And so like they there's a strophers for everybody, I swear.
0: <laughs> so are they um, fairly easy to breed as well?
1: I I I don't know yet. That's true, I'm that's not, true.
0: From what you've read.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm not having too much luck at the moment. <laughs> Um, But I did talk to the breeder that uh, some of mine came from and um, he said that in the during their second winter is like way better to pair them. Mm. So yeah <laughs> it's, it's a learning curve right like it, right. W- that's what happens when you get into something that's really not very worked on um i started my facebook group it's called stropharis in canada and it's just so uh people with stropharis can kind of connect mm-hmm. um because there's a whopping 10 members hot damn i'm a tenth of the population
0: <laughs> hot damn you're in the top 10 percent you're in the top 10 of all Um,
1: breeders in Canada I believe I have one of the most diverse strophers collections in Canada Mm -hmm. with a whopping three species wow hot damn um, once again (laughs) (laughs) I and like if if that's wrong like someone please correct me um Mm -hmm. like I'm I'm not saying that for clout (laughs) but um a lot of us have just like decided that we're just gonna trade babies Mm -hmm. to each other so like we can get the species that we all want to work with um and there's really none of us are competing against each other or anything like that we're it's just i think we're just all enjoying these species together
0: Mm -hmm. so you said that you imported yours from europe are they a more popular species to be kept over there
1: yeah i think so um i think most australian species tend to be bigger in europe Mm-hmm. i i don't know why uh probably because it's easier to smuggle there to there and like <laughs> no basically comment any, <laughs> any australian species was like smuggled out of australia so like
0: mm-hmm.
1: mine are all like captive bred for like many many generations
0: so mm-hmm. so i'm uh i'm i'm hoping that you have you know fingers crossed for a successful clutch this year um I wanted to transition a little bit and talk kind of about your experience in the hobby in Canada um, and how it is to be a woman in the hobby in Canada. I know that you have already mentioned some really important and um, influential women keepers in Canada or the the woman who helps you with the I almost said smuggling with the importing <laughs> You're smuggling, smuggling in my head um <laughs> so i'd love to talk more about your experience in that regard and then also you know get your thoughts on, on where women in the hobby are going and how things are going with the group and stuff like that
1: um so like a decade ago when i came into like the actual reptile community um there were so many uh, just, like, really, really strong female breeders that, like, were were big names in the community, mm-hmm. so... Um,
0: were they it, in particular species or just kind of across the board?
1: Uh, kind of across the board, like, um... There's Andrea from Darwin's Reptiles. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they had ball pythons, crested geckos, just kind of like, y- y- you know, all, all those staple reptiles, as well as, um, you know, more uh, tricky species like false water cobras. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they just really did a little bit of everything. And then um, Terry with Five Star Serpent, she is like the colubrid queen of Alberta. And like, I, I find a lot of them, um, a lot of the women in the hobby, all do kind of their own thing. Um, mm-hmm. a, a lot of a lot of new breeders are like in the ball python market, but I think that's just kind of how how the hobby is in general. But mm-hmm. um, any of the women that have like really solidified names for themselves are just kind of they specialize in their area, mm-hmm. and they're just really. Easy to deal with, easy to work with, super approachable, knowledgeable. They'll spend hours going over stuff with you to just to share that knowledge with you. So like I had so many just like really, really strong female mentors, like while I came up in the community. So mm-hmm. um I know that at least locally here in Alberta, I feel like uh women are really, really well represented in the hobby. Mm-hmm. And and like there's definitely like the sex like you definitely have to do with sexism at like it it does exist but um I think any of the women that have at least made it uh in my my community have got that thick skin just Mm -hmm. to like shut up
0: yeah I think that's like a thick skin that you know women just kind of develop in general over life whether you're in the reptile community or not yeah well
1: uh i i had an old boss that told me uh she's like duck feathers kiana i was like what she's like like water off off, like water off the back of a duck and i was like oh okay cool and and
0: duck feathers man everything's duck feathers it's hard to do but it's, it's good when you have such strong female influence to like remind you of the importance of that
1: yeah absolutely and like um i think the important part is to like always be willing to expand your knowledge and accept new information and stuff Mm -hmm. like that but like definitely don't just if you know you're like correct on something like you don't have to like back down just because like a man's talking to you like if you can like hold hold your weight in a conversation then like hold your weight in that conversation you Mm -hmm. know
0: yeah and don't apologize for it
1: It, yeah yeah exactly like so often when i go to expos like i bump into like a whole bunch of my breeder buddies and like yes the majority of them are men but like i'm still jumping in those conversations with them and like getting in on their level with them because like we're all here because we love these animals Mm -hmm. and i don't care what's between your legs I, i i care about the animals in your hands
0: yeah. I mean, so. <laughs> you can't say it better. Um, and I think that's why having these conversations and, and reminding people of that is, is so important. Um, so we are, I could talk to you forever, but we do have an agenda. So I want, um, I want to talk a little bit about your business and what you're focused on breeding wise, um, and specifically about your name, Sorian. So can you talk a little bit about the background of that?
1: so uh saurian came from um my love of dinosaurs uh uh my my father used to take me out hiking in the uh badlands and we would go collect dinosaur fossils and just um you know we just really bonded over our love of dinosaurs uh in 2016 he passed away and so um i He always wanted to be like a radio announcer Mm -hmm. and that was like part part of where the inspiration to like start the podcast came from and then um like I wasn't really breeding when when I started the podcast and then like um as uh Tyler and I started getting more animals and figuring out what path we wanted to take to take breeding wise um we decided to like launch our our page our breeding program thing i i don't know what you want to call it um and i decided to go with the name saurian which um means like of or like a lizard mm-hmm.
0: dinosaurs saurian you know yeah and it's it's a good homage to your dad as well yeah
1: yeah exactly and so i just uh, he my dad really really ignited my love for reptiles um, like I, I know I know my dad wasn't the first one that exposed me to reptiles but like he's the one that like just really like lit that that passion fire and like got me addicted like a crack crack baby to reptiles <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um, speaking of dinosaurs so when I put out my first teaser episode you really liked the story of Grace Olive Wiley And you uh, uh, expressed that you wanted to teach me about another forgotten woman of her pediculture. So can we get started on the story of Mary Anning?
1: Yes, we can. Okay, okay. Um, I want to start with a little tongue twister that is rumored to have have been written about Mary Anning. But um, there isn't concrete proof, but like... If I just wanted an excuse to say this, so
0: <laughs> and you've I, been practicing,
1: I think, no, I haven't. <laughs> okay, she sells seashells on the seashore. The seashell, oh my god, <laughs> the shells she sells are seashells, I'm sure. So if she sells seashells on the seashore, then I'm sure she sells seashore shells. Okay all right now now that i got that out of my system let's get into the story of mary anning uh mary anning was born may 21st 1799 in Lyme regis uh which is in england she she was born into a poor family which is obviously very common for that um age time (laughs) uh she was one of 10 children and uh her and her older brother joseph were the only two to survive out of those 10 children um and that's a bad
0: clutch yeah
1: yeah it is it is not a good joke (laughs) they did some hard (laughs) culling (laughs) Um, so mary was actually named after her older sister who died when she was four years old um she burned to death oh yeah her her dress caught on fire well like her mom was like in the other room kind of thing Jeez. yeah yeah uh, so like um life was tough back then y- you yeah know? mary's mary's father richard anning was a cabinet maker and to help supplement the family's income he would collect uh, uh, seashells from the coastal cliff beds near their house Mm -hmm. house not health (laughs) that's not a word (laughs) um when when mary was 11 her father succumbed to tuberculosis and he had kind of had a really bad run of luck for like the last couple months um a few months prior to tuberculosis he fell off one of the cliffs while they were out fossil hunting and just like he just had like a real bad go like yeah i had any kind of luck it'd be bad luck so um he eventually succumbed to tuberculosis leaving his widow and his two children with like major major debt and zero savings
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um before his death he took mary and joseph on uh fossil hunting excursions to the cliffs and the family had a table outside their home where they would sell the seashells and fossils to tourists to, you know, bring additional income in to, for the family. Mm-hmm. And then af- after his passing, um, Mary, her brother and her mother would continue to sell all their discoveries to the tourists. And uh, eventually they would actually get to set up a stall near um, where the stagecoach stopped at the local inn. Mm-hmm. So. so is this where the
0: tongue twister supposedly started?
1: uh yeah i think so um just just because she she was like always hunting for seashells and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um now i'm not a hundred that song was written in i think 1908 Mm -hmm. so it was like way after her death that the song was actually written Mm um uh okay (laughs) let me find my place again um in 1811 at 15 years old joseph made a significant discovery and uncovered a four four foot long ichthyosaurus skull Hmm. Um, what's an ichthyosaurus
0: for those who don't know like me (laughs) uh
1: an ichthyosaurus is a large extinct marine reptile okay so uh they were they're the ones that look like angry dolphins
0: Mm, i know exactly which one you're talking about
1: yeah yeah i figured that was a good description mm-hmm. um and uh several months after joseph discovered the skull mary who was 12 at the time found the remainder of the skeleton mm-hmm. the skeleton was perched purchased from the family for 23 pounds which is equivalent to thirty three hundred canadian so uh, what was like three thousand dollars
0: american yeah Yeah. that's significant
1: yeah well especially in that time right Right. um and the family or not the family she's uh and it was displayed in england um now it was really common for museums and stuff like that to not actually pay the family and Mm -hmm. their mother would have to like basically write them angry letters and be like hey like you owe us money like where we're poor mm-hmm. <laughs> you have our stuff like hello in 1820 lieutenant colonel uh thomas james birch um he he had purchased a whole bunch of fossils from the family he became uncomfortable with uh this the family's state of poverty so he decided to auction off all the fossils that he had purchased from the family um he, he wrote to the paleontologist gideon Mantell to say that the sale and i quote It was for the benefit of the poor woman and her son and daughter in Lyme, who have in truth found almost all of the fine things which have been submitted to scientific investigation. Mm. I may never again possess what I am about to part with, yet in doing so, I I shall have the satisfaction of knowing that the money will
0: be well applied, end quote. So was he a private collector of fossils at that point? Yeah. Okay, and he was offering to sell them to a museum
1: uh you're just auctioning them off to just in general, whoever was buying them, yeah, yeah, and so um, the auction raised four hundred pounds, which is uh equivalent to about fifty six thousand dollars uh canadian currently
0: so, um, wow forty five yeah fifty thousand yeah, I can't do math stop, stop bringing up big numbers and expect me now <laughs> I'm just as a canadian i wrote this as a canadian
1: forget an american no
0: (laughs) no 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 i mean we can google it
1: yeah figure it out guys you have the power (laughs) um mary continued to support herself by selling uh common ammonites and belemnites shells and occasionally she would find a rare vertebrate fossil um it's said that she would faithfully uh (laughs) it's said that she faithfully combed the cliffs every day with her terrier um and unfortunately uh a cliff slide happened and it killed her dog and um as she's like looking at all the rubble around and it's like it stopped at her feet she realized like how close she came to it being her that passed away while she was
0: fostering
1: so um Yeah, well, it was just, it. I guess it was hard work to, like,
0: get those scientific contributions, right? And at this time, was her brother still assisting with the fossil hunting?
1: I am not entirely sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, one of the issues with Mary Anning is her life wasn't very well documented.
0: Mm-hmm. Because, obviously,
1: because she was a woman in this time period. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary always had, like, a kind of like a folklore kind of thing about her. Um and and it, was, it it started right when she was like really really little. When she was 15 months old, um there were three ladies standing beside a tree at uh the horse races and one of them was holding Mary. A strike of lightning came and hit the tree. It killed all three women and Mary uh was knocked unconscious and survived and uh they revived her by throwing her in a bathtub of water <laughs> uh, I, I don't I, I don't know i don't know but the the local physician said that it was it was a miracle
0: wow yeah that's a so, miracle nowadays too <laughs> he, yeah yep <laughs> um, just and, toss so, the child in a pool
1: okay. yeah right like i i know i know <laughs> Um, and as as she continued to make more important discoveries, her reputation just got even bigger. Mm-hmm. So um uh on in December 1823, she found a complete skeleton of a plesiosaur, a long-necked marine reptile. Mm-hmm. In 1828, a flying reptile known as a pterosaur, and she even discovered that it was commonly known as a beezer stone, it was in fact dinosaur poop, which is what we Hmm. call copper lights now Hmm. (laughs) um because she grew up poor she was illiterate um but uh as determined women i i think we all know that like stuff like that doesn't stop us when we really really want something um Mm -hmm. she would find scientific papers and handwrite her own copies including her own illustrations that were rumored to be hard to tell apart from the originals wow yeah so like I think that's really really cool. And and it obviously taught her to read by doing that as well. Mm-hmm. When when Mary was 27, she was she was finally able to purchase a home with a small glass storefront which she named Annings Fossil Depot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was even covered by the local paper, so she's hmm. just a little bit little bit more well known, right? right. Um, and I think for uh, a you know, a woman to be written about in those times, I think that was like kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, geologists and fossil collectors from all over Europe and America would um, travel to Lyme to visit Mary's tiny little fossil shop. Mm -hmm. In 1839, she wrote to the magazine of natural history to question a claim that they made in an article that a recently discovered fossil of the prehistoric shark called Hybotus uh, represented a new species as Mm -hmm. an error. Because Hmm. she had uh, discovered the existence of fossil sharks with both straight and hooked teeth many years ago, Um, and that letter was one of the um, few copies of her writing that was actually saved and preserved.
0: That's nice that they have that proof.
1: Yeah, it's just like one of the, and it's one of the like few things that they actually have despite mary's significant contributions to science as a woman she was treated like an outsider um, in the scientific community Mm -hmm. the geological society of london did of london didn't allow women as members or to even attend meetings
0: but they'll take her credit
1: (laughs) (laughs) of course of course (laughs) um Unfortunately, due to the sexism, Mary became really resentful after reading paper after paper written by men um, being published about her discoveries, always failing to mention her mm-hmm. um, in a letter. She wrote, and I quote, the world has used me so unkindly. I fear it has made me suspicious of everyone. End quote.
0: Wow, that's sad.
1: Oh, it's just kind of like gives you that woman scorned kind of feel. And like she <laughs> has every right to feel that way as well like yeah she made really significant contributions and every like all the men were just like
0: i discovered this because i'm writing the paper yeah because she can't read and she can't like fight back because a woman in the 1800s and oh and she's not welcome in the and geological she, yeah Society. and she's just the fossil digger she's not the scientist yeah,
1: yeah exactly um a- anna piney who's a young woman some that uh who sometimes accompanied Mary while mm-hmm. she collected fossils. Um, she wrote, and I quote, she says the world has used her ale. These men of learning have sucked her brains and made a great deal of publishing works of which she has furnished the contents while she derived none of the advantages, end quote. So, uh, like, she definitely made it known that she felt like she was done wrong and she absolutely mm-hmm. was.
0: That's awesome that um, she even, like, it, it's incredible that we're praising the fact that she even said anything. But that's a, that's a huge thing that she did to even just yeah. stand up.
1: Well, imagine standing up to, like, the men of science in that time, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I can't. Like, it would not be, it'd be, it'd, it'd be scary to see how it, it was received, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Mary also assisted um, paleontologist uh, Thomas Hawkins with his efforts to collect ichthyosaurus fossils in Lyme in the 1830s. Um, Mary was aware of his purchase to enhance the fossils he collected. Um, She wrote, and I quote, he is such an enthusiast that he makes things he imagines they ought to be and not as they are really found end quote a few a a few years later there was a public scandal um and it was announced that hawkins had inserted fake bones to make some ichthyosaur skeletons seem more complete later sold them to the government uh, (laughs)
0: The British Museum's collection without the appraisers knowing about the additions. I, okay, you got to give him some props because uh, <laughs> at least he was good at being a fraud.
1: <laughs> well, like, uh, and it wasn't like total fraud, he just mm-hmm. like enhanced it, spiced <laughs> it up a little bit, right? Of
0: course. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we've all done it to a school paper or two <laughs> or a podcast.
1: Uh, Again, because Mary was um, always in poverty, regardless of her discoveries, um, William Buckland persuaded the Association for the Advancement of Science and the British government to award Mary an annuity, uh, which is known as a civilist pension in return for her many contributions. this contributions
0: attachment. you had this problem Thanks. last time too i
1: know i know
0: contributions
1: <laughs> contributions <laughs> to the science of geology the 25 pounds annual pension gave uh mary some financial security but like not a lot no definitely not a lot uh <laughs> i d- i did not write down what the conversion rate was but i think it's like 2500 bucks a month a month i think Oh, David, oh a, young蛍- no a year so i was like man that's bucks. not
0: bad okay yeah, yeah.
1: so like really tw- 2500 $2, $2, $2, $2, bucks $2 a year isn't helping mary died from breast cancer at the age of 47 on um march 9th uh 1847
0: gosh i think that's such oh. i'm that's such a shame to me when like he,
1: she, she died so young like next, yeah
0: just to hear how young she died and, and to you know to to die from breast cancer specifically is like just it's just devastating it's hard
1: it's hard. It's devastating
0: Absolutely. nowadays and it's devastating like to listen to it back mm-hmm. then
1: well it gets a little bit more heartbreaking i'm sorry okay
0: thank you for the. it gets warning. better at
1: the end the end, okay. it's be- the end the end is better okay all right
0: rip my heart out <laughs> i'm
1: sorry um mary's fossil work had tailed off during the last few years of her life because of her illness um now, she was on medication for her cancer treatments. Mm-hmm. And some of the side effects were, um, yeah, it, it made it look like she was drunk. And mm-hmm. so a lot of the townspeople started rumors that she was, like, an alcoholic and stuff like that. But, like, really, it was just, like, effects of the cancer medication. Yeah. And, like, it just really shows how, like, shitty people can be sometimes.
0: hmm yeah to just gosh for that to be what she's known for at the end of her life you a know? drinking
1: problem that she didn't even have well, right and um there was there they made a movie called uh ammonite
0: mm-hmm.
1: and in the movie they make her lesbian
0: for what reason views all right well she god that's so tough because she was there- like there were so many
1: like amazing lesbian paleontologists and stuff
0: that they could have made the movie, but feature the actual ones. Don't make up yeah. lies. About Is are there married. are are there rumors that she was because she didn't get married? I don't. Uh, I like really only
1: heard that from the movie. I haven't okay. heard any other sources of it
0: because I know that's just especially in in that time that was something mm-hmm. that they would you know have have potentially like suspected yeah mhm
1: after mary passed uh the geological community held her in a really really high regard mm-hmm. um and in 1846 it was shown when uh upon learning of her cancer diagnosis the geological society raised money from its members to help anning with her expenses and the council of the newly created dorset county museum made um mary an honorary member Mm -hmm. members of the geological society contributed a stained glass window in mary's memory which was unveiled in 1850 so it it took three years to do that stained glass window which for some reason that I, I i don't know why i
0: thought that was interesting but i hope it's pretty high quality stained glass window if they're gonna honor her only after her death yeah it better be real nice <laughs> uh, can you, you can if if people are watching on youtube they can watch me slowly get more and more exasperated over this story but if you're just listening i hope you can hear to my voice like it's it's a devastating story you know you're happy she's getting some recognition but shit like she deserved it death. she deserved it when she was actually doing the work
1: yeah so um after mary's death henry de la Beche, sorry I, I i can't speak french names, <laughs> Um, who was president of the geological society wrote a eulogy that he read to a meeting of the society and published in its quarterly transactions so like they're they're meeting minutes basically Mm -hmm. um it it was the first eulogy given for a woman and -hmm. these honors were normally only for uh the fellows of the society Mm. which did not admit women until like 1904 wow yeah um so uh the eulogy states and i quote I cannot close this notice of our losses by death without adverting to that that of one who though not placed among even the easier classes of society but one who had to earn her daily bread by her labor yet contributed her talents and untiring researches to no small degree to our knowledge of the great analeosaurians and other forms of organic life entombed in the vicinity of Lyme Regis end quote so like you're dead but like here's
0: some credit <laughs> yeah without saying her name
1: yeah well uh he, he yeah, like, yeah I, I guess yeah he didn't
0: yeah gosh Ugh, that's you know like good I'm glad that they recognized her um they recognized her contributions but damn am I glad that you're bringing it back up now Because I hope that this is even, like, the tiniest, tiniest part of giving her honor. She
1: deserves to be known. She
0: deserves
1: to, like, have her name known. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Mary's biographer, Shelley Emling, noted that um, this contrasted with some of the the prominent geologists who had used her finds, such as William Buckland and Roderick Murchison, uh, who ended up with multiple fossils named after them. she found Mm. Um, the only person who did name a species after Anning during her lifetime was Swiss American naturalist Louis Agassi Uh, in the early 1840s he named two fossil fish species after her I don't speak Latin worse than (laughs) I don't speak French so (laughs) the fish species were Acrotus Mm anningae Belinostomus anningae and uh another he named after her fr- her friend elizabeth philpot mm-hmm. um agazi was grateful to help the w- or for the help that the women had given him examining fossil fish specimens during um his visit to lime Lyme regis in 1834 after mary's death other species including the ostracod cythereliota (laughs) anangi. sorry you're doing well
0: no you're doing well keep going
1: (laughs) and um two genus of therapsid reptile genus uh and the bivalve mollusk genus anangeli Hmm. Uh, were named in her honor um in 2012 the plesiosaur genus Anningosaurus was named after Anning, and the species Ichthyosaurus anningae was named after her in 2015.
0: Okay, well, that's nice. That's good to hear. You yeah. know, that she's getting that credit.
1: Yeah, I just, I just wish it wasn't like 150 years too late.
0: Mm-hmm. Her, her contributions will not go unappreciated.
1: No, absolutely not. And like so. The reason I thought Mary Anning was so important for like us to talk about was because she discovered so many ancient reptiles, Mm -hmm. not even dinosaurs, but like she found ancient reptiles. And I I think it's important that other people know about her.
0: Mm -hmm. And so what was it that, that drew you to her specifically? Like, how did you find out about her?
1: Brandon and I were recording an episode with Dr. Uh, James Gardner, who is the curator of paleoherpetology at the Royal Terrell Museum here in Alberta. That sounds like a
0: cool museum.
1: It is cool! It is so (laughs) cool. Um, Like... I, like I grew up like going to the museum all the time like I thought dinosaurs were like a part of like everyone's life the way they were a part oh, of oh
0: man gosh that's so but, cool um
1: so I was doing research for the episode with him uh that was beyond my knowledge of the video game arc <laughs> because I took so much of my dinosaur knowledge from video games <laughs> i was talking to another friend of mine who is really really into um dinosaurs and i was like hey is there anything that like you would want me to ask this like paleoherpetologist?" Mm-hmm. and he's like yeah why why was mary anning screwed over by sexism and like robbed of all her contributions <laughs> <laughs> we said i i worded it very very differently of when course we her questions to the museum because they had to get approved right mm-hmm. and, and the like dr gardner like crossed some off the list that like he just wasn't experienced enough to answer or like just didn't know the answer or whatever mm-hmm. and one of the questions he knocked off was mary ann
0: <laughs> oh damn it so now, now you're doing her justice here
1: yeah exactly like i just i just wanted to talk about her mm-hmm. and and my friend mike really wants to listen to this so yeah well
0: mike this this one's for you mike Um, Well, Kiana, I appreciate it. We're really approaching our time here. Yes. So first off, thank you so much for recording not one but two episodes (laughs) because I freaked out yesterday when I texted you that the audio was screwed up. So fingers crossed this one sounds okay. Um, I want to thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, That was such a pleasure to speak with you and Brandon. Um, And thank you for bringing Mary Anning's story to light. That was... I, it was great the first time to hear it. And then the second time I picked up on a lot of things I kind of zoned out for. So that was really nice to hear again. Um, I, I, I had, uh, I was a little more fluid this time. I wasn't so panicked. We both were,
1: we both were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't worry everyone. This is the good episode. The other yeah. one, like, I don't, don't tell them that
0: don't, don't even tell them that let them think that this <laughs> is the bad one and we're just this much better. Um, all right. So if people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you?
1: Uh, you can find me if you search up Canadian Herpeticulture podcast. Um, I am on all major podcast platforms. Um, you can find uh, the animals that I'm working with um, on Saurian, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all that stuff. I'm on there for everything. So awesome. Google me, you'll find me.
0: And this podcast hopefully comes out on um, February eleventh, twenty twenty one. So, what are you guys? What are you doing on February twelfth?
1: Listening to this podcast. You, if I have... You, you have a
0: live stream, I do have a
1: live stream. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, Canadian Herpeticals podcast is going live with um Jube the Snick um off of instagram okay not with the snake itself but uh her owner uh kayla Uh, i'm sorry kayla i don't i can't pronounce your last name it's another french Um, name (laughs) yeah it is it is (laughs) um but we are going to discuss her experience with um nidovirus and um yeah i just just spread some awareness about nidovirus and um how it's probably more prevalent in the community than most people are aware. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, in another episode that Brandon and I recorded with Dr. Walton, we talked about how it was probably more common in bigger collections than anyone would be comfortable admitting. So, mm-hmm. I, And I didn't learn about Nidovirus until I started doing the podcast. So I think it's just something that's really important to spread some knowledge about.
0: Mm-hmm. So if people aren't able to catch that live, will that be on your platforms later?
1: Yeah. So uh, that will be up on Facebook and on YouTube.
0: Okay. Awesome. Um, So Kiana, thank you so much. Um, for having
1: me
0: it's been an absolute pleasure um so for everyone listening once again my name is dominique defalco of defalco reptiles and you're listening to the modern medusa podcast it has been such a pleasure speaking with you this evening and i want to give another huge thank you to joe phelan with port city pet for being a phenomenal sponsor and our uh you know, a kind of our, our our podcast, you know, guide as we're working on this journey. So, um, thank you so much. Follow us on Instagram at the modern Medusa podcast, and I can't wait to talk at you next week. Thank you.